Hello, Internet. This is Andy with Vox Mercury Podcast. Oh, my goodness. And I said that I would not talk about the Ducks until we won. Oh, boy. Well, guess what? No, we didn't. The comeback kids are back. No. And we've done two wins oh, since boy. I've been here. So we're going to hit the music. Oh, boy. What? What? Is this the Ducks theme song? Is this a... Th- what is this? Andy, what is this? You just have to listen for 45 seconds. Was this recorded in 1982? The Scorpions? Okay, we've lost all of our listeners just right. First of all, hello internet is my line, okay? And secondly, oh my goodness. Secondly, uh, it sounds like it sounds like your old band. To be honest, did you did you did you do a riff of that at all when you were in uh, Dakota? Yeah, I uh, I'm gonna have to say that the primary inspiration for Dakota was the uh, 1993 Mighty Ducks uh, theme song. Oh, good night. <laughs> Well, I, I tell you what, you've given me a great gift. I have something I dislike more than Adele. And so that was the mighty talk. So what? hello. What? Okay, so last what, week, Andy? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna supplement that tree. I actually oh. while I was looking for that song, I came across the actual inaugural season home game video that's like thir- like a thirteen minute interlude into it, and it's like all Disney. It's mm-hmm. mind blowing, it's embarrassing. You mean to the team? Yeah, like so, like at the Anaheim Pond, it they was like Disney it, they on. They named the team after the movie. Oh yeah, oh of course, of, of course, course they of did. Course. Of course, of course that, they did. That only brings fuel to your fire, but I I can't deny that. I oh, mean, that's the truth of the the start of the Mighty Ducks. I feel like we've already spent five minutes too long on this <laughs> on this conversation. So, so, hello, Internet. Andy's here. And he's looking pretty uh, sporty in his nine-year-old Mighty Ducks jersey. And he's growing some sort of caterpillar-like thing on his upper lip uh, for, what is it, Movember? Movember, that's right, Awareness for Men's Health. And then uh, we have a we have an extra studio guest today, J.J. Carroll. Hello. J.J. Uh, is, has, has some sort of blonde... Blonde growth on his upper lip as well. Yeah, it's not, it, not as good as Andy's. It's kind of patchy. Man. It's kind of patchy. But, J.J., how old are you? I'm 23. He is 23. He is a musician. Um, and you do co- comedy club nights things? Explain I, that. I do trivia nights. So I host trivia at, at restaurants and bars uh, down, in, <laughs> down here in SoCal. And you get paid so for this. I get paid for it. So so give me one example of a trivia oh, geez. Uh, question. Let's see. Let's see how Andy and, and Mike do this. All right, uh, I'm, just, I'm going by memory from of from course. Tuesday's night. Of course, it's it was, a music question because it's only Friday. It's yeah, it's only Friday. Right. So it's a music question. Okay, lay it on me. Andy might know this. What was the Adele hit song? Oh, good lord! That was the top of the charts in 2011. Okay, are you ready? It's something. Someone like, like you. I'm gonna go rolling in the deep. I'm gonna go someone like you who set fire to the rain and was rolling in the deep all at the same time. Well, one of you's right and one yes. of you's wrong. I think you can figure out that you're wrong, Mike, but the answer <laughs> yes is rolling in the deep. Rolling in the deep? Woo! Rolling in the deep. Uh, I don't even know what any of that means. I, I, I literally do, do not understand. You could have had it all. I. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my.
my goodness. Well, so we're glad to have JJ here. Glad to be here. And uh, we've got two mustaches representing Movember. Um, so so today what we want to do is we, we have the mailbag. The Vox mailbag <laughs> is, is fairly hefty. But before we get to it, I, I've got a couple of really important culture issues to discuss. First of all, uh, evidently Starbucks has taken the Christ out of Christmas in their coffee cups. Have you seen this? I have not this seen this. This big uproar. That no. It's just now a red cup and it's not snowflakey or whatever. And, and of course, Christians are in arms about this because it's just another way the culture's waging war on Christmas. And, and you know, I just want to say we're stupid. We are so stupid. There, there, there are people dying for their faith and being martyred by ISIS and fleeing Syria who love Jesus. And, and this is what we're doing with our angst. It's just absolutely insane. Uh, secondly, I'm still looking for the skinny mirror that we talked about. Thirdly, I still have not found one. And I've tested all of mine, and they're certainly not skinny mirrors. And, and then the third thing is this. Guys, I have a confession. When is it too early to put up Christmas decorations? Because my heart is wrapping Thanksgiving up into the holiday season. And and so Hannah and I last night pulled out all of our Christmas decorations. As we were putting away our Halloween decorations, we could not help ourselves. On November, whatever yesterday was, 5th or 6th, I, I started putting up Christmas decorations. Is that a sin or not? Andy, go. Sin, no. Ethically compromising and controversial? Yes. Okay. JJ? I think it's A-OK. That's what, why is that, JJ? I say November 1st. Go. I just get into. I just get into the Christmas. Spirit. It does. It does, and it takes me. It quite frankly, it takes me a month to get into the Christmas spirit. So I say, why not now? I say, I say, why do all the work of putting up Christmas decorations to only enjoy them like two or three weeks? Mm-hmm. JJ, can I get an amen? Amen. Andy, we don't want to hear from you on this one. Okay, what? <laughs> well, I, I guess that's the question, though, because like if I guess Christmas. What are we considering the start of Christmas spirit season? Advent? If, if it's Advent, then it makes sense to have a month to get into it. But if we're saying that Christmas Day is the pinnacle and you want to take a month to roll up to it, then you would technically start decorating beginning December 1st. False. Both, both of your statements are false. <laughs> Christmas is a cultural, sentimental, beautiful holiday and it takes me a year or it takes me a year it takes me a month to get ready for advent literally on january 1st my little girl and i punch up our app that says how many days to christmas (laughs) and we watch it all year and now it's getting close andy you're not gonna steal this from me you probably you probably get a real tree don't you (laughs) i do i am a real tree guy for sure why because the smell no okay let me ask you a question what's wrong with the real true true or false the world needs more trees True or false? True. Exactly. So you're taking one so that you can kill it over the course of two weeks, potentially create a fire hazard for the smell. Yeah. Is that what you're telling me? I think that's what I'm telling you. I have Febreze for that, man. Yeah. Yeah. They make little pine cone things. Yeah. And so, so Andy, man, you are on the wrong side of history and so many things right now. Your affection for the ducks, your love of Adele, and your Christmas. And my love for Thanksgiving. Yes. No, I love Thanksgiving too. I love it. I love the pumpkin pie. I love the Thanksgiving. But it, why not just wrap it up into the Christmas season? Sure. Okay, sure. You, don't you, can, you can convince me. Vox continues its hard-hitting series on cultural issues today by <laughs> discussing when it's appropriate to decorate for Christmas. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm for sure... Not saying before Halloween. Oh. Hmm. 
right? But the day after Halloween, it's it's Christmas time. It just is. Is that? I mean, but I I half expect that that would then is going to change then over some course of time. No, I'm sure it was that way. I'm sure it was that way no, for Thanksgiving. Don't give me. Don't People give me the, thought the same thing for don't Thanksgiving. Don't give me the slippery for... slope argument. No, no. Just wait. No, Adele Christians... is a gateway. Listen, Adele is a gateway drug. If you want to talk about slippery slope, right? Because where where do you go from Adele? I will call upon. I don't need to call upon. It's already happening. I believe that Christians will band together to yeah. say, "Let's bring Christmas into Halloween." And let's instead override the dark evil of costume False. wearing. I heard and introduce the great called, spirit of it's Hall called, of Christmas. It's called, it's called Jesus Ween. Series. It's called Jesus Ween. I saw it online. It's a real thing. And it is the worst thing I've ever heard of. Because if we're gonna pick and choose our pagan holidays, then we've gotta we've gotta abandon Easter and and Christmas too, right? Yeah. Because those those were both just co-ops of pagan holidays. Anyway, so all right. uh, They're all out. Next year we're all gonna get together and celebrate no holidays. No, or just do them all at once. It'll be great. No, what was funny is uh, so I was in Israel in uh, in April and and we go to Bethlehem and and our tour guide has to be so gentle when he says to our our collected you know crew that um, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, and people are so crushed to find that out <laughs> that that was just a day that was an equinox that was a, a, a pagan celebration that the early church co-opted. It's so disappointing. So it's just it's just so silly. This whole thing is so silly. Mm-hmm. So let's take back Halloween for Jesus. Let's take Christmas back for Jesus. Let's make sure Starbucks puts crosses and Bible verses uh, because I get all my theology from Starbucks, don't you? Yeah. Typically, uh, what happens at this point in the in, in the Vox pod, podcast is uh, we get into some sort of topic after a few questions, but I think the questions are so juicy today. I think they're going to be the topic. Okay. All right. So yeah. let's get to it. JJ's left the room. Let's do it. He couldn't take it. It was too hot. Um, got some really, really good questions and, and there's so many, we don't, we don't have time to get to them all or do them justice. So we're just going to kind of do these one at a time and kind of sit in them a little bit. Uh, so I think a big one, uh, and I've gotten this in various forms, but I think a big one people have is because one of the assumptions we're making is that Jesus would, would challenge both sides of this conversation. He would challenge the the non-affirming side, and we've talked a lot about that. Um, he would challenge the way the non-affirming view is held, in particular, and and do we really mean it when we say that we love people? Do we really mean it when we say uh, that that uh, my sin, my personal sin, is to be seen as a plank, and your sin is to be seen as a two by four? Do we really do we really take Jesus at His word in all of these things? And so we've been spending a lot of time on that. The question then becomes, well, how how would Jesus how would Jesus challenge the affirming side, right? I mean, that's right. That's kind of the big, the, the other part of the the question, and 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 often the argument is made that well, Jesus didn't have anything to say because he never mentions homosexuality, um, same sex orientation, or attraction, or whatever. He never mentions any of that, and so you, you've got to look other places. And 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 there are some affirming scholars. Uh, who who have different takes on this argument? There there are some who say, listen, the Bible speaks universally negatively um, about same sex relations behaviors, but so what? The Bible's wrong. 
And these are these are New Testament scholars, some of whom I've read and studied, who just say, "Yeah, we think there's a bigger ethic at work here," mm-hmm. um, uh, and they just say, "We, uh, we they just think uh, we think this this one is wrong. That if the Bible were being written today, it wouldn't have those parts in it." There's another affirming argument that says, "No, no, no. The thing, the parts that you see that 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 Christians see as condemning." same-sex behavior, those parts are actually condemning something that, that doesn't exist in the same way today. And, and the Bible is silent on the issue of monogamous, faithful, covenantal, same-sex relationships that can be consummated in marriage. And then there's a third argument. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and that, that, the Bible, that, that the Bible, because it's unclear if the Bible's condemning or not condemning, then we have to go to a different ethic, namely the ethic of love of neighbor. Mm. And okay. therefore, we should allow same-sex relationships. So, so there, there are different nuances to the kind of affirming stream of arguments. Make sense so far? Yeah. Now... And we don't have time, at least in this question, to say how he might, Jesus might go uh, or challenge each version of this argument. So I'm just going to speak in general terms. And maybe, maybe Jesus, maybe I'm wrong on this. But but it seems like uh, if Jesus were walking around, he might say to the affirming crowd, look, number one, you can't pull me out of my Jewish context. I am not a 21st century white European uh, liberal <laughs> or whatever, progressive, whatever you want to say, that Jesus was Jewish. He came when God walked the earth. He came as a Jewish rabbi. And all the Jewish rabbis universally on 500 years, uh, in 500 years before Jesus, 500 years after Jesus, they, they, they held same-sex behaviors to be out of bounds for God's covenant people. Um, Jesus to to say that Jesus either would have been silent or would have affirmed is to make him the only Jewish rabbi in a thousand year span to do so. Right. Um, and, and whenever Jesus and when and Jesus got into he got pulled into all sorts of sexual ethic debates, particularly around divorce and adultery. And whenever Jesus got pulled into a debate, he always sided with the more conservative Jewish view. And so I think one thing that the affirming side it has to wrestle through at least is the Jewishness of Jesus, the fact that he, he came saying that he came to fulfill Torah um, and not to abolish it, and the fact that he seemingly held a sexual ethic that was rooted in Genesis 1 and 2. So you have to, you at least have to wrestle with that. Some affirming scholars do, some affirming scholars don't. But I, I think if Jesus were here, uh, I think he would call out, secondly, and this is true of the non-affirming folks too, but I think he would call out American culture's worship of sex. I think we can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that he would call that into question. He would challenge that. And and I think it's such the air we breathe, Andy, that we don't even recognize how big a deal we make of sexual fulfillment. Now, mm-hmm. it, of course, God made sex, and he made sex to be wonderful and beautiful and awesome, and he's the author of, of orgasm, and he's the author of, of arousal, and he's the author of all of that. Hallelujah. That when we have kids, we don't just plant seeds in the garden. We, we have a lot more fun doing it. You know what I'm saying? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Andy, Andy, oh my goodness. He's got, he, he, he calls it a hipster turtleneck. It's this plaid thing with the top plaid long sleeve shirt with a little collar with it buttoned 
and that I, I, I can hardly take him seriously right now. He's changed from his Ducks jersey into this into this hipster thing. A- anyway, it's, I'm sorry. Squirrel. 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 <laughs> so so uh, one of the things the scriptures teach, uh, and, and that I believe from personal experience, is that everybody worships something. Worship isn't a religious activity. Worship is a human activity. And, and by worship, I don't mean singing religious songs. Uh, by worship, I mean we bow down to something. We, we value something. We turn to something. Like Starbucks Red Cups. Starbucks red cups make me happy. Um, oh boy, that's a whole other conversation. You know what I mean? And and, and I can't figure out if, if if people are actually seriously protesting or this is this is blown out of proportion. But holy moly, Andy's on Andy's actually on fire about the red cup thing. He's very angry. Since you mentioned it, I, I've been quickly looking up a little bit about it. It's it, um yeah, I'm moved. You're moved. You're moved to righteous anger. I'm moved to righteous anger. <laughs> well, you know, because because snowflakes really tell the story of Jesus, don't they? And like you take those else. they take those snowflakes away, and then we're lost. Because mm-hmm, every snowflake's unique, just as God made us. Oh boy. Oh, that's you know what? That's an Adele song in the making. Now, <laughs> could you imagine if Adele wrote worship music? How awful that would be. Oh. Yeah. All right. So, okay, we're <laughs> okay, back. Okay. Andy, quit. Dis- all right, quit. All right. Quit distracting back me. Back on Andy. topic. <laughs> so, so the one of the beautiful things about the scriptures is is that worship, whatever you worship, in, in the scriptures, and, and you really only have two choices: you have the creator or you have the creation. We all worship something. We all turn to something, and and whatever you worship gradually brings you under its power. So you become like whatever it is you worship. If you worship money, you become greedy. If you worship, uh, if you worship power, you become controlling. If you worship sex, uh, the scriptures teach you're kind of given over to this insatiable sense of lust. And, and so, what our culture, I think, has done is it's made an idol of erotic expression, and, and it's boundaried only by. As long as it's consensual, you don't hurt anyone else. You can you can do whatever whatever floats your boat, whatever turns you on, whatever makes you happy, and and, and so as a result of the elevation of the worship of sexual fulfillment and expression, we've we've correspondingly made like the worst possible scenario for somebody to have unfulfilled sexual desires, right? Nobody, according to our world, should have unfulfilled sexual desires. The problem is we all do, we all do, all of us. I thought when I got married, I got married as a virgin. I thought, you know what? And I and I feel like I was told this by Christian culture. If I just waited to get married, then I would just have unlimited sexual freedom and expression. That's not true. It's not true, Andy. How All long right. have you been married? Uh, a little over five years. Okay, so you're starting to learn this. Yeah. You're starting. I'm, yeah. I'm going on year 16. Yeah. I've learned it. So, so... I think Jesus would call into question the worship of sex, which ultimately is the worship of self, right? That my desires rule me, my desires govern me, my desire, I can't say no to my desires. And, and, and I think we have a whole world in which that sort of way of looking at the world is just reinforced all over the place, right? I've got to be true to my true self. My desires are my destiny. And, and I think Jesus would call all of that into question. Does that make sense? Yep. Well, there you go. There you go. So, and then I think I I, I want to make one more point, Andy. Okay. I want to, one more point. Um, 
I think Jesus would call into question uh, sexual orientation as a defining identity marker. Oh, yeah. Now, I get... Now, hold on. I get why it's become that in uh, in uh, LGBTQ community. I think I... Well, I, I, I think I understand. It's been so pushed underneath uh the surface in church culture it's it's what we don't talk about it's it's just filled with shame and and guilt and fear of being found out i mean i i can understand i think a little bit about why people now elevate sexual orientation to if you reject my gayness you're rejecting me and and i and i get that a little bit but i also think that what Jesus came to do is to redefine all tribal, uh, ethnic, socioeconomic identities around the new community he is building. So that you you may be a tax collector, you may be a prostitute, you may be you, you may be something else in the world's eyes. But what Jesus is doing is redefining identity for people. So that literally in, in the New Testament, Paul's favorite way of speaking about Jesus people is people in Christ. And he doesn't talk about Jewish Christians or Gentile Christians. And he even says in, in Christ, there's neither male nor female, Jew or Greek, slave or free. And this was revolutionary that all other identities are subsumed now under the banner of being in Christ. We are brothers and sisters. We have this heavenly father. I mean, all of that image is radically. So, so people will ask me, because here's the implication. People will ask me, hey, will there be homosexuals in heaven? And the answer is no. There will not be homosexuals in heaven, nor will there be heterosexuals in heaven. <laughs> there will just be people in heaven, none of whom were worthy to be there, all of whom simply said yes to the grace of Jesus. Now, we can talk about heaven and what's that and hell is it real and maybe those would be great future things. But I just want to say that Jesus would relativize the, the significance of uh, the orientation of our erotic desires around something far larger. And I think what he would call Christians to do is to say, listen, whenever whenever we're playing into the hetero homo like distinction, we're actually feeding something that that isn't quite right because it assumes that heterosexuality is somehow less sinful than homosexuality. And, and that, that you can have a good orientation or you can have a disordered orientation. But I think what the scripture teaches pretty clearly is that heterosexuality is just as sinful. And and that, that you know, the 300 or so verses to heterosexuals um, carry a lot of weight in terms of lust and polygamy and uh, divorce and adultery and extramarital uh, sexual relations and all of those sorts of things. And so I think embedded in the the homosexual, heterosexual narrative is a, an assumption that Jesus would call into question even for the non-affirming crowd, namely that, well, if I'm heterosexual, my sins are, you know, they're not, they're not as crazy as homosexual sin. And that, and that just isn't true. And, and, and so I think that, that if Jesus were walking around, those would be some of the things I, I think he would challenge. I, I really, really do. And, 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 and like we said earlier in, in, in different podcasts, no one gets to pre-negotiate surrender to Jesus. Jesus called everyone to repentance. That means he called everyone away from the status quo into something new. And they had to let go of the status quo in order to embrace the new something Jesus was doing. So, so I, I anyway, that's a short 
kind of answer to a really, really deep question. But I think that that is a good start for us. Yeah, I think so. I think over time we're going to probably hear how those different points reach to different questions. And I think those are great little launching spots. Andy, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for your hipster affirmation. Um, another great question. And this question, this question was accompanied by uh, Pearl Jam lyrics from The Fixer that I will not sing for you because uh, we've gotten some pushback on, on my singing. Um, but this question is from a, a dear friend of mine who said, would you have an LGBTQ member in your church or on staff in your church? And, and, and f- what a phenomenal question because you know we can talk all about the, the loving and not judging and, and all those sorts of things, but how does this cash out practically? So we're starting to get a bunch of those questions like, okay, okay I get it. Let's not be total losers <laughs> in the way that we treat uh, other people. But how does that work? So, and I don't know what he means by member in your church. I don't know if that's like official membership or is that just participation mm-hmm. in the community. But let me let me try to give a general answer, Andy, and then and then you push back on it for the sake of uh, for the sake of making sure I'm clear. I think that this is another case where it's easy to fall into the heterosexual, homosexual, like orientation distinctions. I I think that what I would look for in a church member or in a church staff member is somebody who the trajectory of their life is aimed at becoming more joyfully and humbly surrendered to Jesus. And, and, and by surrendered, I don't mean like, oh, this religion is just killing me. And I, I, no, I, I mean someone who is progressively coming to the realization that Jesus himself is the treasure that's found in following Jesus and the, 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 the conviction that whatever Jesus would ask me to do, I'd, I'd seriously try to do it. Not, not to earn his favor, but because I had it. Not to earn his love, but because I already had it. Because I, I've come to believe that living under his rulership is actually the best way to live. It's the most human way to live. And so, so I want to be around people who, if God called into question my middle-class lifestyle and, or, or someone else's middle-class lifestyle and said, I want you to sell everything and give to the poor, that, that I might not want to do that, but I would orient my life to being that kind of person. Or, or if somebody said, yeah, I want you to stay in a marriage where it's not abusive or anything like that, but it's distant, it's cold. And our, our world says, listen, when, when the love flame sort of burns out, it's time to depart, but maybe God would call you to stay in um, and embody the gospel to the other person. I mean, would you even consider that? Or if God called you to be celibate as a single person, would you would you consider that? If God called you uh, to to you know do radical things, are we the kinds of people? I want to be around the kinds of people, and I want to be the kind of person that says, "Okay, Jesus, uh, you, you got me. I, I'm yours." And that doesn't mean it's easy, and that doesn't mean I wouldn't want to do something else. But but I would be gradually and progressively coming under the realization that following Him is actually the best way to go. And, and that there aren't these pre-negotiated segments of my life that God can never speak to. So to me, that's the bigger issue. The issue isn't whether or not they're LGBTQ. The issue isn't whether or not they're heterosexual. The issue is what kind of heart posture do they have towards Jesus? And and and, and again, it's not perfection. My goodness, I'd be ruled out you know, if it were perfection. But it's the kind of the trajectory of life 
Is it aimed towards this humble surrender and joyous surrender towards Jesus? And and if the answer is yes to that, well, then we're all in process. And I'd be open to, to any sort of staff member membership. I mean, I'd be open to anything. But I think making the issue just LGBTQ specific misses the bigger points that apply to both parts of the conversation. Is that, am I tracking? Are you... You're Are you smelling what I'm cooking? I am. I, I again, I am smelling what you're cooking. <laughs> um, so two thoughts um, or two positions come to mind as we talk about this. And and a guy brought this up, I think, in maybe the second episode or third episode. So, and so you said you you know one one person like this, but let's say others. So and it, we could probably relate this to any other kind of um, personal confession of sin. Right. So let's let's take the scenario of the guy who says, I'm choosing homosexuality right. over heterosexuality because I, I'm i choosing that. That right. is the love I want to be involved in, right. and that's the road that I want to go. Yep. I want to be on your staff. Right. I'm capable of doing this. Yep. I don't see my activity as sin. You're right. And so how? what's the scenario there? So this, so this is a guy who claims to be a follower of Jesus. Yes. And in... And does this person, because to me, this is where it depends. Because if this is somebody who is just saying, yes, um, I am this, I'm choosing to be this, uh, and, and, and there's, no, there's no recourse, there's no conversation, there's no dialogue, end of story. Well, I would treat that person the same way uh, who'd be considering a, an inappropriate divorce or committed to an affair. I mean, we had a guy years ago who just said, I'm going to go have an affair with this person. And and you go, well, if it's already decided and and there's no journey or conversation, I mean it's like it's like the person that says, "Yeah, I just I just I watch porn 3 or 4 times a day. I have no issue with it. It's and and, and it's very it's very brutal." I mean, and I'm not equating all of this to to uh, people that are, are are wrestling with, hey, I didn't choose same-sex attraction, but this specific case, no, no I, I probably wouldn't. Oh, and it's not because of the choice he's making, but it's the heart behind it. Sure, because he, he's saying, I, I'm definitively choosing this, and there's no question about it because this is the choice I'm making for my life because that's my preference. Right. And more of a sexual preference, rather, but and like, I don't see it as sin because that's my attraction. If I feel like I'm in a, right. a, a disposition, or not disposition, but a position where... I could go either road and I right. have to look at myself and be like, what, right. what seems the most fulfilling and most right, right about my attraction? Now, did I tell you, did I tell you about the rest of that conversation that I had with that guy? I don't, I don't think, think I, I don't did. I think you did. Because well, here's what was funny. So he sits down and, and it's between services and, and he just kind of says, you know what? I'm choosing to be gay. I was engaged to be married to a woman. He's, he's in his young 30s at this point. And he says, but I fall in love with a man. And I want to know what you think. And the way he's saying this, it, 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 I, I read it as either if I oppose him, it'll just reinforce him in his decision to pursue it. If I affirm it, that'll just reinforce his decision to pursue it. And so there's no, this, is a, this isn't really a, a conversation, right? He's just, right. he's already made his mind up. And I said, okay. And his big appeal to me, he didn't even say it the way you said it. Like, I, I don't believe it's sin. He kept saying, these feelings are so real. These feelings sure. are so real. Right. I cannot deny how real these feelings are. 
And so in a moment of, I don't know if this was smart or not, but I just said, okay, well, since you're being honest with me, I want to be honest with you. I am attracted to somebody in our church. She is married. Uh, I am married. She has kids. I have kids. Uh, I've been attracted a long time to her. And, um, and these feelings, I mean, they're just as real as what you're saying. I mean, these feelings are real. And, um, and, I, and I said, so I'm thinking, about, I'm, I'm thinking about leaving my wife and having an affair with her. And, and he interrupts me and he says, no, 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 you can't do that. <laughs> and he didn't even know he'd walked into the judo trap. I said, oh, so let me get this straight. There are more important considerations than how real your feelings are. Right. Right? Right. That our feelings don't always lead us uh, in the best directions. And so, so for me, the irony was that he was willing to say, no, no, your, your feelings, even though they were real, had to be subsumed under something else. My feelings don't. <laughs> and, and so it was an interesting conversation because it ended with him just being angry at God. Like, why would God do this? And why would God give me this? And it, but even though he was saying it too. So it was a fascinating mm. conversation mm. and it showed me how complex some of these things are. Right. But it, it deeply, Andy, comes back to the heart. If right. you just make it about the L or the G or the B or the T or the Q, mm-hmm. we've missed the deeper thing that Jesus is working. Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I definitely, I know what you mean. I think I, I still... I'm still working through in my head how to, because in in your particular scenario, it's, I understand what you're saying, that we can't just say, I feel this way, therefore it's truth. We talked about that with individual expression. That's the highest authority, therefore if I feel this way, that should dictate how I live my life. When we're saying that that's not, that's not how it works. No, because Jesus, remember. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Because Jesus, what was the invitation of Jesus to his followers? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Right. Now that runs headlong against the cultural ethos, uh, ethos of self-fulfillment. The, the, the path to true life is self-fulfillment. And Jesus is saying, nope, mm-hmm. the path of true life is abandoning yourself to something bigger than you. Mm-hmm. Sin on. or not. Right. Right. So it's like, to, it's like when we frame it that way, that's a little different. It's like, well, this, this behavior here isn't sinful, but for me to invest in it potentially exactly. you know, could, could produce something that I begin to worship and, it, and then it. I become under That's it. why the number one sin in the Bible is idolatry. It's not anything else. It's giving your life something to something that is uh, is other than God, and is by definition then a created thing mm-hmm. that can never fill, that can never satisfy. Right. Um, th- this wouldn't derail. I'm just curious. When the Pharisees asked Jesus what the number one sin was, right? Did they say? Re- didn't he say rejecting the Holy Spirit? No, he said that was an unforgivable, unforgivable sin. Unforgivable sin. Okay. Yes, but that. Okay. That doesn't mean what we think it means. Okay. That's a Jewish question. That's what I was going to say. Was that more of a, a yes. Jewish response to their question? That yes. Was very and, and it okay. was, I, and, and my view is, it was specifically about that generation's rejection of the Messiah. Okay. Because of the of the context of it. But that's okay, a different, different question, different podcast. But any, anyhow, okay. So, um, okay. Yeah. So I'm still working through that. I, I just think, I feel if I was in that position where someone approached me, wanted to be on my staff, and if they came to me saying like, I've I've been this way since I was born. Yep. Like I mean, this is like I don't know any different. Yep. I I can't even put myself in a headspace to even understand that. Right. To where it's like, if you're here to try to bring people to Jesus, and right. that is the orientation of your heart. Right. And that's that's what you're going for. Then yep. I'm going to be hesitant to contest that. I'm going right. to be like, all right, then let's. It's an open conversation, and like, if, if this is the focus of 
of your missional journey in life and this is what you're trying to accomplish then right let's go yeah it's it's an interesting thing because i've met people that are uh ashamed and debilitated by their same-sex attraction and so they they almost need to be built up and poured into as someone who's valuable and loved uh i've met people that are open and and proud and the conversation's over baby that ship has sailed and then there's this really large middle ground of people who are wrestling with what they think and and what they're feeling and working out jesus and i think that's one of the things I want to say is we do want to give people the permission to be in process, right? Because I, if if you got to have all your issues solved before you belong to a church, man, it's empty. <laughs> but so for me, there's a difference between the entrance requirements, which there aren't any, and then the kind of people you put into leadership over the community. The kind of people I want to put in leadership over community are the kind of people like I described before. They have a heart posture that says it's all fair game, Jesus. Yeah. It's all fair game. And that doesn't mean, and, and, and I have to hasten to add this. We'll get into this next podcast. That it doesn't mean that Jesus is going to turn me into a heterosexual. Right? Because right. I've heard that. Right. That, it, hey, if you follow Jesus and you still have same-sex attraction, you somehow failed. No. Nope. 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 I know people that have, have said they've experienced an overnight transformation of their desire. And I've met people who love Jesus more than I do, mm-hmm. who've not experienced that mm-hmm. same transformation. And, and they've prayed and they've read their Bible and, you know, they've done all the stuff and they still, it's still the issue. And so for me, that's where I have to make it a heart thing. Because, and you, I can't have a, just a rule that says, no, no, I'd never have anybody who's LGBTQ. Right. Because then you'd say, okay, well, are you doing that with divorce? Are you doing that with uh, porn? Are you doing that with adultery? Are you going to police all that for folks? Or are there are there things that we see as out of bounds, right? Of course there are. The Bible is really, really clear that there are things. But that list is bigger than just sexual things, right? It's greed, it's pride, it's, I mean, it's all those things. So it has to be a heart issue that we're looking for. And the fruit of a heart that's surrendered to Jesus looks a certain kind of way. Great. Make sense? Makes sense. Boom. Now, here's, but here's what makes this conversation so hard. Because we, we've got folks that are listening who are not followers of Jesus, and they're evaluating whether or not they want to follow Jesus by hearing two disciples of Jesus talk about following Jesus. Yeah. So, so one of the ways I've learned, and, and, and I think this is what gets people upset at me or at us in this conversation, is that we're try, I, I feel like we're trying to carry four different hats. At least I feel that way. Because on the one hand... I'm a disciple, and that, that's a Bible word for a student, an apprentice. Um, we're all disciples of somebody. If you want to learn how to play golf, you go to a golf pro, right? You are a disciple of a golf pro. You want to learn how to do woodworking, you disciple yourself to a woodworker, right? So the Jesus life is discipling yourself to Jesus. There's, there, he's the one I want to follow. He's the one I want to be like. So, so the first hat I wear... Uh, is I'm a disciple. And that means I'm working out my redemption. And, and I'm hugely flawed. And that's where the judgment, the, the speaking against judgment comes in. That that as a disciple, my sin is the worst sin. 
My sin is the biggest sin, and I'm the worst sinner in the room. That's what my discipleship to Jesus leads me to. That whenever I want to talk about sexual sin, I have to admit mine first. Right? Whether it's pornography, whether it's uh, lust, whether it's masturbation. I mean, that whole conversation I have to acknowledge before I talk about anyone else's sexual sin. All right? Mm-hmm. And, and we've got masturbation questions, by the way, that someday we'll get a handle on. Ah! <laughs> All right. Oh, no. I, I now have to put the explicit uh, icon yes, on this do. episode. <laughs> so, so secondly, secondly, so I'm a disciple first, okay? Then what I am is that I am a, a member of a disciple community. And, and in my role, so I'm a pastor, which, which means I'm, I'm, I've been recognized as a leader in the community of disciples. That doesn't mean I'm better. That doesn't mean I'm more important. That doesn't mean I'm more sanctified. It just means um, that in in God's economy, I I have the gifts that tend towards leadership. Which makes then this conversation difficult because what you've learned, you learn very early in church work, one size rarely fits all. Rarely fits all. And Jesus would acknowledge this. He didn't say all divorce was wrong. You know, and in fact, he acknowledged in Matthew 19 that the divorce provision given in the Old Testament was given because of the hardness of the hearts of the men of Israel. I mean, it's just an interesting sort of sort of posture. So so as someone who uh, talks publicly um, and, and and talks to a wide array of people, it's so hard to try to countenance every scenario and making public pronouncements. So the first hat is disciple. The second hat is part of a Christian community, in my case, pastor. The third hat, and and this is the one, this is where it gets all sticky. The third hat is um, I am a minister of reconciliation, baby. And and I want to read because this this is where there's a lot of conflict in in the way we answer some of these questions. Mm. Um, so, So Paul, this guy, he's a first century missionary. He, find, he, he founds churches, founds, starts, starts begins, launches. launches churches, and then he, he moves on after a period of time, and then he will, he'll write letters um, to these churches. And so in one letter, it's called uh, the second letter to the Corinthians. He says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here, which is why, you know, I would say sexual identity then gets relativized to being in Christ. But that's, you know, more to to come on that later. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gives us the ministry of reconciliation. And here it is. There's a colon and here's the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Oh, now what do we do? We count people's sins against them. That we have whole ministries built on counting people's sins against them. When we say, hey buddy, I have to tell you I disagree before I can love you. That's counting their sin against them. Now, I'm not saying we're free for all. We're laissez-faire. We we never call out sin. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that in the ministry of reconciliation to people who are outside the, the covenant community, 
We don't lead with, hey, let me tell you about how sinful you are. No, my goodness. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Come on. So, Andy, what makes this conversation so crazy is we are talking to, uh, we're talking out of both sides. We're, we're talking as disciples and I'm talking as a pastor and I'm also talking as a minister of reconciliation to people who are in the covenant community who haven't agreed with the big narrative story. See, the sexual ethic of the Bible, what you can't do in this conversation, you can't pull out six verses and say the Bible says it, that settles it, and that's over, and you've done your Christian duty. That is false. As a minister of reconciliation, your number one job is to represent Jesus in a way that presents him as gracious and beautiful and invites people into the grand biblical story into which all of those verses are embedded. And until you say yes to the grand biblical story, those verses just feel like death. Yeah. They just feel like morality. They feel like religion. They feel like law. They're death. But when you say yes to the grand biblical story, creation, we are fallen. God is restoring and ultimately going to fulfill and, and, and redeem everything. When you buy into that story, there's a sexual ethic embedded in it that makes sense. So, so it's tough to just talk about the New Testament sexual ethic when you've got disciples who are listening and you have non-disciples who are listening or disciples of someone else that are listening, right? Right. And, and this is where it gets super confusing because I have to carry my discipleship in a way that doesn't cancel out my being a minister of reconciliation, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, so people will say, no, no, as a disciple, I think this is wrong and I have to say it's wrong and I have to say it's wrong and I have to announce it's wrong. But they're carrying their discipleship in ways that do not allow for reconciliation. Right, yeah. And the ministry yeah. they're given. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely makes sense. Boom! And then, how much time do we have, Andy? We got about 10 more minutes. Ah! Can we do it? Of course we can, we can do, do it, it, Andy. Okay, let's do it. And then the fourth hat. So I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm part of a, a, a community. I'm working this out with other people. Um, so so I, in this case, I'm, I'm also a pastor, a shepherd of a community. The, the third role is that I'm a minister of reconciliation to people who aren't in the covenant community. And then lastly, I'm a citizen of a pluralistic democracy. And so the challenge as a citizen of a pluralistic democracy is what do I do about my disciple convictions when I'm invited to vote on issues that have ramifications? So let's say, that, let's say, um, you know, gay marriage, of course, was up for a vote uh, in California, Prop 8 years ago. Um, and, and there was a lot of pressure. I was at a church called Rock Harbor. There was a lot of pressure for us to take a public stand and we refused. Mm -hmm. We refused. And my answer was God's take on sexuality is much bigger than a yes or no vote on a proposition. Yeah. So we refuse. Public pronouncements, I think, do damage. We'll get to that next podcast about the role of politics and all this. But here's the bigger point. We have to do our politics in a way that does not cancel out our ministry of reconciliation. So, so I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying don't 
conduct yourself uh, according to conscience. I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying, though, is when we equate our political opinions with Jesus's views on the kingdom of God, we've done something very, very damaging. That if people think that they have to become a Republican in order to follow Jesus, you've added a hurdle that is so unbiblical and so harmful. And so, and never mind the fact that you can't always draw a straight line from the Bible says it's wrong to I'm voting against it, right? So the Bible says God hates divorce. So are we going to outlaw divorce? Is that what we're, we're going to require all the previously divorced people to get remarried again or live? I mean, no, there's, it's just more complicated than that. Oh, so Andy, that's what I got. That's what I got. So next time, I think what we're going to do, and, and this could change depending on the feedback we get. I want to talk, I want to talk politics. Um, someone asked me if I would officiate a gay wedding, which that's, that's a really interesting one. That's a good, that is a very good one. <laughs> Um, and, and, and I think that, uh, oh, and I've, I've written a manifesto. I've written a, it, it, it's not a manifesto, but you know, because I'm not, uh, because I, I think what I, everything I say is so unbelievably important. No, I, I, I wrote, I, I, I see all these statements from churches on gay marriage and they're almost always negative. Hmm. You know, the, and, and, uh, and so I, I started to write a statement for, um, and now it's just going to be me until, until God calls us into another church. Right. Um, but I would want it to be a community sort of statement. And do we have time for it or should we do it next week? We what got time. We got, we got time? Yeah, we got time. All right. So, so here it is, Andy. Uh, so let's do this. On the basis of everything we said, here's, here is um, a statement on gay marriage. And about the posture that a community of disciples should take regarding it. How about that? Great. So can we put it on the Subversive yeah, Kingdom? Yeah, absolutely. We'll put All it right. on the show notes. It'll be up there. And All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read. I'm going to read this. It's a series of affirmations. And it's so much in process. I'm sure, I'm sure there's grammar mistakes in here. Yeah. I'm sure I don't use apostrophes well. But all right. So here it is. Uh, section one. This is like official. Okay. We see Jesus of Nazareth as the supreme revealer of what God is like. Through his miracles, Jesus demonstrates compassion for the poor, the outcast, and the marginalized. Through his table fellowship, Jesus demonstrates the power of grace and acceptance of those deemed sinful and unfit by the religious authorities. Through his teaching, Jesus reveals the inner workings of God's kingdom. It is both now and not yet. It starts small but is ever growing. It looks weak but is unconquerable. It brings both grace and truth to the human situation. And it summons all to repentance, to turning away from the status quo. Through his righteous anger, Jesus demonstrates his disdain for heartless, graceless, self-righteous religion. Religion that shows neither mercy nor compassion for those who are outside the community of faith. Through his suffering... Jesus demonstrates the unbreakable power of self-sacrificial love and nonviolence. He both commands and models what it means to love one's neighbors and enemies. Through his death, Jesus takes upon himself all that is bent and wretched, opening up the possibility of redemption and forgiveness to anyone. Through his resurrection, Jesus launches God's future new creation in this present world 
so much so that all who come to Christ in faith are called new creations. Now that's section one. Section two then is on the basis of that, we joyfully affirm the following. We will prayerfully respect the prevailing law of the land and ensure our LGBTQ friends, family, and neighbors have equal rights under the law. We will prayerfully and sacrificially love our neighbors, regardless of their sexual orientation, preferences, or views. We will prayerfully and sacrificially love our enemies, regardless of their sexual orientation, preferences, or views. We will be good news people, people who proclaim and demonstrate the good news of Jesus by being people who are loving, kind, and compassionate. We will continue. I have eight of these. This is number five. We will continue to wrestle with the scriptures and their enduring influence and authority in our lives, acknowledging the great diversity of opinion regarding many matters of theology. We will support the rights of communities of faith to follow their own judgments regarding matters of sexuality and marriage. We will continue to be good neighbors, respectful citizens, and promoters of human flourishing. And lastly, and most importantly, we will continue to invite anyone and everyone to study the teachings of Jesus and surrender their life to him. So that's what I got so far. Amen. So so let's put that up on uh, Subversive Kingdom. Yep. And I'd love your thoughts on it, uh, Vox community. You guys are you guys are amazing. It's it's been so fun to uh, be a part of this. Yeah. What were you gonna say? I'm saying yeah, it's been a great time. I mean we're and I feel now attraction's happening and we're starting to get contacts and comments that are that are all over the spectrum. Like oh we're my starting goodness. to see even though so much of our core conversation has has been around LGBTQ. Even in the midst of all of that, other stirrings and the way people are being moved to this are like, oh, I just yeah. keep coming. Like, I this is something's happening in me, and I yes. need to keep hearing more. And actually, I got recognized publicly. What? Yeah, it was it was super funny. And you're probably listening to this, Andy. This guy, other guy's name, Andy. Hi, Andy. I was at uh, my church down in San Clemente, and he approached me. He was like, "Hey, are you Andy?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "I love the podcast." And oh, I was dude, like, that's awesome. Like, this is so weird at the same time. That's awesome. I'm stoked that you yeah. loved it. But anyhow, it's thank you, everybody. We're having so yeah. much fun. Yeah, thank you for, for allowing us to be part of your drive or your workout or listening with your kids or whatever it is. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we pray um, very sincerely that we would be good stewards of, of your time. Um, so uh, follow us, Twitter, Mike Geary, Facebook, of course. Uh, thank you for those of you who have um, written comments on iTunes and who have rated it, except for the one person that gave it a one star. Um, I asked, I had to make sure that wasn't my wife. And um, and so thank you for that. So, so let me just do our blessing. Uh, wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you And may he give you peace in these days. Until next time, Internet, we appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Geary podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Geary. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Geary for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit subversivekingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike. Mike.